Hi, everyone. We are coming in a little early just to prep, get things ready. So please stand by. If you have any questions, please let us know. So George, we are on Facebook. What are you uh, doing today? What did you do? <laughs> um, I had a very good day, actually. I spent time with somebody helping me in um, the writing that I'm doing at the moment. That is one of the reasons why I came here. And they were very encouraging to me. Um, I went for a run. Um, <laughs> How many miles? Or kilometers? Uh, I think it's close to eight kilometers. It was a oh. walk, but okay. it was, uh, my legs are gone. <laughs> so I'm sitting <laughs> there with my legs. Um, and I spent good time in prayer with Carolyn. And mm. then, of course, with people all over Africa, as we mm. just work through so many variables at the moment. Mm. Um, virtually every hour, a different government is making a different decision. Oh, wow. Vacations on the work. So many people yes. are out together. Um, so many people are not allowed to come into the country and all mm. these. You know, and so mm. um, just prayerfully being part of all of that. And then to try and grasp what is happening in the United States mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. by seeing with the eyes that God taught me to look with in Africa. Mm -hmm. And so I observed uh, many things today also. So any, <laughs> say hi to everybody uh, on Facebook. <laughs> okay, I will do that. It was great talking to you. Yeah. So, any updates from hands? Anything? I mean, I know you said uh, the challenges, you have different countries. It's not as though what happens in South Africa is the same as what happens in Malawi or Nigeria or Mozambique. Zambia, what, what's, how do you uh, figure out all of that? It's, it's literally blow by blow, hour by hour. I think one of the things that encouraged us so much, and it's part of what we're going to talk about tonight in the Bible, mm -hmm. is the things that God has taught us before, especially mm -hmm. where we had situations where our children were genuinely in danger, their vulnerability levels, and we made some brave decisions um, just based on our commitment. For example, you know, we as leaders in Hans made a commitment. If a children stop eating, we stop eating. I mean, that's the level of commitment mm. we make to the children. And so when there's uh, things like a cholera outbreak where they said you're not allowed to have more than 15 people meeting, mm. suddenly you've got 250 people in a, in a care point that you've got to feed. And if yes. they don't eat food, they're super vulnerable. Right. Then we, we learned lessons how to deal with that. And mm -hmm. those lessons we now have, because we've got a testimony, we've got a, a history. And I think that's what God does in these times. Mm. And one of the beautiful things is he's teaching us things 
that not just for us, but for the next generation. And so one of the things, Sam, is so important for me in this few days, I went back in church history. We're not going to talk about it tonight, but I would encourage everybody, go and find out just how rich family you're coming from, the family called the Ecclesia, the body of Jesus. Man, we've got some fine moments that we have shined in dark hours, and we can learn from these people. And so in hands, in our short history already, we've got many things we've learned from people that have done things in the past in tough times. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, well, we have about four minutes uh-huh. before we begin. And uh, just to let everyone know, the way that we've decided to do this is that we're taking turns in picking a, a passage of scripture and we're just going to go over it, see what we believe Paul is saying in this passage in particular to the church, to us, even at this present time. George, since he selected this passage, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 11, he's going to lead us through it. I'm going to supplement and maybe ask questions or different things like that. Um, We will try to apply it to our lives, to the church in Africa. Um, And so, yeah. And so hopefully as we do that, that will really benefit everyone. So it'll be not just for the church in Africa, but obviously for everywhere. And then after that, we will um, we'll, uh, take any questions that anyone has. It can be about the passage. It can be in general. And we'll try to reflect and answer those things. It might be helpful for you to actually have a Bible because we will try to show it on screen if possible. I'm going to do my best. But um, technology doesn't always favor us. <laughs> So having a Bible will really help. So if you could open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, verses 3 to 11. Yeah. Why did you pick this passage, George, in particular, before we even begin? Uh, Sam, before I ask, can I just ask you a question quickly? So if people have got questions, where would they submit those questions to you? It's right now on the Facebook link. Uh, So it's actually on our Facebook page. It's... And you can just put into the comment section. So I'll be monitoring that throughout our time. And yeah, so uh, if anyone has any questions, you can post it there. Yeah. 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 When I when I came to the United States, I felt an urge to to work through one and two Corinthians. Mm. Um, for a while, I've been wanting to dig deep into that again. It's just so deep and rich um, and uh, I was just blown away right from 1 Corinthians actually mm. when you read through it it, it just seems like every page is relevant um, to where we find ourselves right now but when I got to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 1 I could not sit still while I was reading it and I just thought wow this is so rich mm. um, yeah, very I'm applicable now, but I keep yes. on going back and just digging deep yes. and find so much comfort and wisdom and insight into um, what Paul wrote there, obviously in a time of huge anxiety and distress mm. and 
in a number of places in 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks more specifically about the incredible tough times that they went through. Unbelievable. Um, he even speaks about certain churches, like a Macedonian church, that were in extreme poverty at that time. And so, in general, times were super tough. Hmm. Paul wrote this letter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, I think we will. So it's eight o'clock. Would you mind uh, opening us up in prayer? Sure, I would. Father, we come to you because Jesus ripped the curtain open for us from the top to the bottom. And in Hebrews, we read that we can now freely enter the throne of grace. And that's what we do tonight. Um, We meet in a way that no other generation ever had the privilege to do. We are scattered across the world. I know people from Australia and South Africa and Canada and the US. And and we are connected in in an incredible way. But we want a deeper connection tonight. We want to be connected through um, your Holy Spirit. We want you, Holy Spirit, to, to uh, connect us well with each other. And we want to be part of that vine. Mm. We receive our sap from you, Jesus. Mm. And tonight we want to hear well from you. We thank mm. you, Holy Spirit, that you stayed behind in this messy place with us. Mm. Um, we thank you for your gentleness. and mm. We thank you for um, the incredible gifts that you've given us. We thank you for your fruit mm. that is available to be in our lives and this morning or this evening whichever time it is for us um, we pray that you'll stir stir our hearts and warm it Mm. like you did with those men as Mm. they walked on their way to Mass and that we will be richly blessed tonight in Jesus name Amen Amen. Thank you So George you are going to read for us this passage and as you do that I'm going to get the words of it ready let's see if I could do that Um, okay okay if you could read it okay so it's 2 Corinthians 1 from verse 3 to 11, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort also. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, 
for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But what was what was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the praise of many. Amen. Amen. So, what are your thoughts on such a rich passage? <laughs> yes, and so there's there's uh, there's many things that tonight we would love to hear questions. We would love to have discussions. I know Sam have got many rich input into it, and and really all I want to do is to to stir our hearts tonight and to take us back to the basics. Um, So often we hear the words, that person is very radical. You know, we love to be be around radical people because it makes us feel radical. (laughs) But you know what radical means? Radical just means back to the basics. That's That's the meaning of radical, back to the root back to the beginning, back to the the substance, back to the truth. And so right now, we live in a time, first of all, as we're going to go into it, I just want to give a small picture, a quick picture. We cannot continue the way we did it yesterday. Um, Suddenly, we are locked up in homes with people that we haven't communicated for years or hardly communicated. We we were taken out of our rhythms. this can go very wrong if we do not quickly have an anchor, if we do not quickly reset and refocus. We're gonna, James say, we're gonna just be blown, tossed around like uh, by the winds and the waves. And so, what we want to do tonight is to say, yes, it's a crisis and it's tough, but it's a moment and opportunity to reset and to go deep and to find the radical part of our God and our history and the truths that we do not waste this time. And so I want you to look at it like that. I want you to see there is a huge opportunity here for us, but we're going to have to go to the basics again. And sometimes that's a little bit uncomfortable because we've got to turn away from a momentum that we had and we've got to, Find the true north, as we would say in Africa. So, right from verse 3, uh, I want to just take up two concepts and stand, and I want to tell you a bit about Africa, but I want to hear from you and everybody on that. There are two mm-hmm. things that, that Paul speaks about there. He speaks about God and Father. And I found it so fascinating and interesting because first of all, he speaks about God. And right through the New Testament, there are many, many other scriptures that refer to God and Father, always God first. And 
I think it is so appropriate for us when we look at God that we stop dead. And we for a moment consider and humble ourselves and declare tonight again. We start by acknowledging God, omnipotent, omniscient, everlasting. We are not his equals. We are not his partners. We were made out of dust. Our days are few. Our wisdom is incomprehensibly small compared to his. I know it cuts a little bit against the grain when we suddenly stop and think about it because many of us haven't thought about it properly. I want you to know God. And regardless of how much you know and how well in control you were in your life until a week ago, the gift that you can receive in this time, tonight, is to start and to stop and to say what Thomas said when Jesus showed him. And he said, my Lord and my God. Nehemiah, when he heard about the crisis in Jerusalem, it was massive. It blew his mind. It created a huge crisis. The first thing Nehemiah did, in Nehemiah 1 verse 5, he did this. He said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Friends, this is our time to go back to be radical. It is not Jesus that's an app on your iPhone. It's not Jesus whose name you can just shout and he flips out and do whatever you want. It's not Jesus whose grace gives you a license to live the American dream and have eternal life. It was never true. It was all fake. This is a gift given to us right now. To stop and to say, Oh Lord, my God, who is man that you even think about him? I just want to give you a few seconds. Just think about that. Just, just let the Godness fall upon you. When last have you considered the awesome God? All consuming. It's only when we start there. It's only when we understand that deep foundation. that we can look at the next one. You know, in Africa, this is one of the gifts we have in Africa, especially the African women, who always carry the brunt of all the mm. pandemics, the drought, all these things. They are always one. Going to the water holes at quarter to three in the morning to get water before the cattle get there when they muddy it and soil it. They are the ones working in the fields, carrying babies on their backs. You can speak to every one of them. I spoke to them for 24 years. I've never met one of them that questioned God. It's settled. Mm. In good times, they thank him and praise him. 
And sometimes that good times is in the midst of a crisis. They've got the ability to look at the crisis and to say to me, Sipo, God is good. This morning, my child recovered from malaria. And I mm. think, man, you still have food. You still don't have any protection, but they don't see that. They see God's goodness. And when times are tough, they don't question him. They just trust him for deliverance. Honestly, they just trust him for deliverance. This is so unnatural to us in our individualistic lifestyles, in our lifestyles where we are in control. And may I dare to say, in our lifestyles, where we constantly look to blame someone. Someone must always be held responsible. We're always ready to sue somebody. We're always ready to accuse somebody. We're always ready to leave a church because they don't feed me anymore. Friends, in this time, this is a gift for us. I want to ask you, hang in with me. Let's not run from now. It's here because this truth sets us free. In James 4, verse 7, we read that. Submit yourself to God. Nehemiah did this in the face of the disaster in Jerusalem. And God did the most incredible work through Nehemiah in Jerusalem. It's only when we catch that foundation of God and who is man that we can look at a beautiful word. And I love that word, Abba, Father. That is the second concept that comes in here. Paul is speaking about God and a father. He's speaking about the God and the father of Jesus. He doesn't mean God, the father is the God of Jesus. He means God and he is the father of Jesus. If you understand, that's a more accurate translation that we see that. But it's across the New Testament. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, in um, Peter 1 verse 3, Colossians 1 verse 3, constantly we read about it. But the crown about this the beauty, beauty, beauty about this is when Jesus with his own mouth uttered these incredible words in John 20 verse 17. And I want you to hear it because this is where it moved from the old covenant to the new covenant because Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. And this is what Jesus himself said. He said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet returned to the Father. Instead, Go instead to my brothers and tell them this. Tell them this. And I'm telling you this tonight. I am returning to my father. Your father. To my God. Your God. So once you understand that he's your God. The good news that your brother, your savior and your Lord brought you. He said he is now also your father. Mm-hmm. And that's what I get out of that introduction. Mm-hmm. And it's only when we understand this that we can go deeper into the painful things that Paul is saying later on. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sure you, you, you've got something good to add to it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you so much. You know, um, what I found interesting when I was studying this passage is, uh, well, there's a ton. But um, first of all, he begins verse three, this whole section with uh, essentially a benediction. 
And that's actually very different than the way that he begins many of his letters, which usually has a, I thank my God for, I remember you and all my prayers as he talks about in Philippians. He usually thanks the church for them, for, uh, thanks the Lord for the church. Here, he just gives praise to God. And you wouldn't think that in light of the passage, which talks all about suffering. Because suffering and praise from a worldly material perspective does not always make sense. But from a heavenly Godward perspective, especially when we think of the cross, praise is absolutely and worship is absolutely a direct corollary of how we're able to get through times of suffering. Something you said last time was that, um, you know, in this season, it's very easy to be in a state of isolation. I mean, we talk about it, social distancing, isolation, self-isolating. And in that sense, it's almost all about being inward, inward focus. And you had said last time that after 9-11, all of the, the support and the giving and a lot of the just the, the heart for what, what God was doing in Africa from the international churches, the response just dwindled because everyone was just sort of caring for themselves. And that is a huge temptation, I think, in the midst of suffering is to look inward to say, I have to protect myself. I have to protect my family. But you look at what Paul is doing. His, I mean, he said in verse, um, verse eight, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. I mean, that is very strong words. But if you read Second Corinthians 11 and see what he went through, you understand why he wrote that. Because the apostles, outside of uh, probably John, who was... Um, exiled on Patmos, all of them were martyred. And so, and all of them suffered and they were beaten and stoned and shipwrecked. And, and so they really faced incredible despair, far more than what we're going through. I mean, we're living in our house that's comfortable. We have an internet, we have food, we have, we have a lot compared to even Africa or compared to what Paul has here and what he's talking about. And he's saying he was so despairing of life itself. And yet he begins this passage with saying, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort. And to me, when I read that, you could see the sort of the direct line of that then unlocking his own comfort. And then that then unlocking his desire to bring other people comfort. That in this place of utter despair, you're either going to respond in two ways. Either I worship you, I trust you, I praise you, or inward self-pity, despair, frustration. And one leads to death and one leads to life. One leads to comfort, as Paul says here. He, I mean, I circled the word comfort. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. He used the word comfort in like four verses. 10 times. The Bible doesn't repeat things by accident. It, it, when it uses a word, it uses it very intentionally. And when it does, and when it repeats it that many times in such a small space, 
it's meant to emphasize, you know, I, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you, but you have to believe that. And you have to remember that I am here. And then he also doesn't want us to shirk suffering because he says, and um, he says, verse five, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, that that's not an avoidance of sufferings. That is a coming together, joining with. To be in Christ is to share suffering. In Christ, that very, very critical phrase in the New Testament is a way of saying, we are with him. And if you look at it, it's like there's, for all of you, when you look at that, in Christ, we share abundantly, so a lot in Christ's sufferings. But that's not the end goal. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. The Even though that's a means to an end. The means is we share abundantly in, in Christ's sufferings. So he, he died, took our place for our sins so that we might share abundantly in comfort. That's why he gives praise to God in the midst of these sorrows. And it, it fuels not only worship, but it fuels a response from worship, which is to, to uh, it, you'll see it. He says that we're going to share with others. We're going to help the afflicted. In verse six, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort, for our salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience. And then he keeps on going. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will share in our comfort. And as you follow that, it's so that we might help others in prayer, by giving thanks, by being a blessing to others. So I think that just correlates so well with um, the text of exactly what you were saying, George. And I feel like in some sense, what you have been saying for, you know, in these past two ones, two uh, devotions that we've had is to, to think about what God is doing, even in the midst of our sorrows or challenges. One last thing is you mentioned that woman at the, um, you know, how they experience that. And wow, I just see someone who has buried their child, you know, and multiple children, as you've seen many times. How do they continue worshiping? It has to be based on the idea that God understands our comfort and you don't stop worshiping when, even when the most tragic events happen, because if you stop, then despair only follows there. There's no hope at all. So I'd love to hear more what you think about that. And even just as you've been processing and you've, I mean, you've buried children, you've seen men, women, little children die with like, absolute poverty and how does this passage then even highlight that so much more which we have to have a bigger perspective and i think that provides that this provides that this passage yeah that that's that's great sam and um when we speak about the comfort that we receive is the comfort that we use to bring to others who are in needing of comfort. Mm -hmm. 
And can you see the importance of if you've never received that comfort or if you have slowly moved away from that truth and you actually believe now that things are good because you are comforting yourself, you are making the decisions. It's because you are working hard that you are now where you are. It's because of your wise decisions that everybody is well. And, and so many times, even on small crises, not in a pandemic level, um, we hear amazing testimonies of people that go through a, a personal crisis. You know, somebody die unexpectedly or there's a, a long illness. Um, I recently heard just a most incredible testimony of a young mother who's got cancer and just her unwavering faith and proclamation of the love of Christ, mm. even though it's seemingly there's no chance for healing. And we say, how do they do that? So the only, and, and it happens so widely and constantly that we know it's true. Mm. We know it is, and we read about mm. it in scripture. And so if we can't understand it, we've got to go to the place and say, we've somewhere wandered away from that truths and that re re um, reality. And we started believing another narrative of us having done things. And so I often speak about being grateful, being the foundation of a healthy person, a healthy heart. If you listen to people praying, it's always asking, there's something fundamentally wrong there. It's something that always humbles me to the core. When I listen to people praying and speaking in Africa, um, I just did a home visit before I came here, and there was a girl, 11, turning 12, who was stolen from her grandmother for early marriage. And... By God's grace, we heard about this, and she was gone for several weeks already, and the hatchet work people hunted this girl down. It was deep rural. I mean, I took hours off a dirt road, and they found her, and by God's grace, they found her before the man got married to her, an old man. They were still busy preparing her for the marriage, and we brought her home to the grandmother. Can you imagine... When I did a holy home visit there, and here's the grandmother, and here's the granddaughter standing next to her, and there's Ruth, our African leader, holding the girl tight, and and we said to them, what what do you want to do? And the first thing the grandmother say, I want to praise Jesus, and she she just overflowed with gratefulness and thankfulness. No question, God is good. And as we worshipped and we started praying, I opened my eyes and I looked at this girl, barely 12 years old then. I think she just had a birthday after we rescued her. And she stood there holding Ruth's hand and holding her grandmother. And the tears were pouring down her face. Well, my legs gave in. I could not stand any longer. I just collapsed. I just saw a holy moment of God, heaven. And I saw a selfishness and an arrogance in me at that moment. Mm. And I was jealous on that grandmother and that girl's total confidence that God is good even though seemingly mm -hmm. terrible things happen to them. Now, 
how does that happen? And how can we go back to that in this time? And I believe it is the basic truth. Um, I was just contemplating on Isaiah 11 this morning, uh, today, Isaiah 11 verse 1 to 4. I would encourage people to go and read it. That's Old Testament God talking about Israel and how he taught Israel to walk and how he brought Israel out of Egypt and he called Israel my son. Mm. You know, it's so beautiful. My heart Mm. is so full of my love for a father like that. So it's only when we eat this truth, when we allow it to enter us, and when we allow ourselves to break out of our narratives that we that people pump into us from social media and everywhere else that slowly dilute this truth. Mm. You know, Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 7, he speaks a little bit about that suffering, but I was just struck by the sentence in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5 to 7. He said, For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn. Yeah, and listen how honest he is. He's saying, fighting without and fear within. Paul is saying, guys, I was anxious. I was overwhelmed with fear inside. And it seemed like the situation externally was totally out of control. But then the next sentence, Paul saying verse 6, but God who comfort the downcast. <laughs> you know, God see those who are downcast. In Exodus, we read when God saw Israel in Egypt, he saw what was happening and it made him angry. And he said, I will deliver them. Uh, he uh. comforted the downcast and he comforted us by the coming of Titus. Can you see how God used a person? A Titus was like a, a junior to Paul, right? Yet Titus came to Paul in a time that Paul was fearful and overwhelmed and anxious and battling. And he sent Titus. And Paul said, not only did he comfort us, but he was comforting you. He comforted, he started that domino effect. Uh-huh. We call it in Africa. In Africa, we say, the way I fall on you is the way you're going to fall on the next person. So if we want a child in Africa to feel loved and respected, I've got to respect the the next person, the person below me, if I may speak like that. Uh The person that, let's just say in in your language, a person that reports to me. Uh If I respect them, if I know their names, if I listen to them, if I care about them, if I visit them in their homes and ask them about their children, if I give generously to them, they will do that to our key workers. Our key workers will do that to the grandmothers, and the grandmothers will do that to our children. That's called the domino effect. And I think he's speaking here. He's probably saying, guys, start that domino effect. Bring that. And that's what Paul is trying to bring here. He's trying to say, and I think this is an incredible time to start a a domino effect. And we spoke about hope and comfort. I think these are the two key things, right? Uh And of course, the comfort reached its peak when the comforter was given to us. In John 14, verse 16, we know that Jesus gave us a comforter. But Mm -hmm. hope, the way we 
the way I try to explain hope is that it is the X factor in the Bible. Hope is dry grass, just waiting for one spark, just one spark, and a wildfire can come out of it. And you know what I've learned about hope? I have seen hopeless people tens of thousands. I have sat next to fathers who held their children dying. Um, I've seen too many hopeless people in my life. Mm -hmm. Even the most hopeless, hopeless case. You bring in the hope. You bring in that, that personal deep comfort. And you see a spark in their eyes. Sometimes I see children. I always look for those who've got no hope. I look for the children. When I look in their eyes, I see death. There's nothing. Sam and I can tell you 20 stories immediately about those children. I see a child and there's, uh, I think of Laura, the one girl in Mozambique now. Her eyes was dead, dead, dead. There was not mm. a glimmer of hope or life in her eyes. If you listen to her life, you understand why. And we we laser focused on her. We fell on mm. her as a team. We said, we will not rest until mm. hope penetrates Laura's heart. I got a photo of her. I can send it to whoever wants it. I got a photo of her actually last week from Catherine uh, no, from Cara, International Volunteer in Mozambique. And here was this girl, Laura, in a feeding point. And I tell you, it was only her ears stopping her smile. Mm. Hope, the X factor. Mm. In a situation where the village was wiped out in a cyclone, where her mother was hugely abusive, where nobody else cared about her, where she was suicidal, people brought hope. And today, she is a living testimony among the people of mm. what hope can be. Mm. So even in her toughest hour, hope penetrated her because hope, faith, and love, that's the gift that God gave us to bring. Mm. Mm. That is great. Amen for hope. <laughs> Without it, where would we be? <laughs> you know, I, I was looking here and... Um, uh, going back to verse eight, you know he he experiences a lot of affliction in Asia. Um, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I think, uh, boy, what a phrase! Despaired of life itself. I mean, I think there are some people who have been there, right? Uh, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. This next part is so important. I want to touch on that and then ask you to reflect on that. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, yes. Yes. but on God who raises the dead. To me, there's yeah. so much there. Um, yeah. The first thing that I get from that, the, the but shows us that this is a contrast. It's a, it's a change. There's a despairing on one side, and then there's a purpose on the other side that the suffering without God makes you despair of life itself. Suffering with God shows it's God's means by which he causes you not to rely on yourself. And I do think that for so many of us, especially with current events, 
I don't think we can just walk by that really fast, but instead to ask the question of in what ways is God utilizing this to cause either myself individually, the church, society, the world to not rely on ourselves, which is the essence of sin. You know, it's the essence of the Tower of Babel or taking of the fruit of the tree and saying, I don't need God and I, I can do this all by myself. Every child, every infant, every, you know, toddler has that, I can do this by myself. And suffering causes us to stop and to say, I can't do this by myself. The fact that God would use this to cause us to depend on him. I think many times we think of that as we, we see only suffering from the side of this is so evil. This is so bad. And I'm, I, I don't think suffering and evil is a good thing. Not at all in and of itself. And when we go to heaven, when we're on the new heavens and new earth, there is no more tears. There's no more suffering, right? So suffering in and of itself is not good, but God uses suffering for us to causes us to rely on God because without it, it seems like from what Paul's saying is that they would have just relied on themselves. The second thing that I get from that is that it also helps us to see that God is the God who raises the dead. And it, in other words, where suffering in this world leads to death, when we depend on God, suffering causes us to depend on him and it leads to life, new life. And uh, it, it changes us. It, it shapes us. It, it opens our eyes. It helps us to see the world as he sees it. And right now, the world is being seen only in one way, which is despairing, you know, panic. Everyone trying to you know, just hoard all these goods, not willing to care. But if we could see it this way, you know, to see suffering as a means by which God opens our eyes, causes us to depend on him, to see resurrection in it. And exactly what you said, the hope of the resurrection, right? The That's not just some small fantasy land idea, but it is what Peter describes as a living hope. And so how do you, how have you experienced that idea? The fact that God sometimes takes these challenges or trials in our lives or in the lives of others and actually utilizes it to cause us to do uh, the opposite of what we're inclined to do, which is depend on ourselves, which is what all human beings do. And have you ever seen that actually play out in, you know, just in yeah, yeah, experiences? It's, it's a massive topic. <laughs> just a brief statement would be, We've got to again come clean and, and at least acknowledge the fact that since the Second World War, we thought we could prevent suffering. We, we got the vaccinations, we've got insurances, we've got policies and investments, and we minimize suffering. Even in, in Canada, you know, you live in the harshest conditions. You walk out of your house, into a garage, all warm, into your car, drive into town, go under base, park, you walk into your office, all eco. We eliminated any suffering. We, we thought we could. We convinced ourselves we could. Um, and death 
was the one thing that none of us wanted to talk about. And we run a hundred miles from it. We spoke a bit about it the first night, right? Um, and so anytime death comes to our front door, it wobbles us because we know deep down it's the one thing we can't control. But we actually, there's many, many other things we can't control. And that reality, that gift has been given to us through tough times and suffering. And it's so interesting how the world is suffering around us and we refuse to see it. Uh, and most of the suffering, 90% of the suffering in the United States, if I can just say it because we are here, yes, but certainly across the world, is caused by us. Children suffering, divorce, bankruptcy, suing each other. I know of wonderful people who lost their practices, they lost their, love, their houses, because some person sued them because they made one small mistake. Um, how, we cause suffering and pain all the time. But as long as the bottom line looks good, we don't see it as suffering, we see it as profit. And so um, we've got to be honest about it. So for me, there's two concepts that I wanted to just touch on here, Sam. The one is the lamb and the lion. And I think it's important for us to know. So Jesus came as a lamb of God. And he came meek and mild. He came, didn't argue, didn't fight. He came to serve even unto death. Death on a shameful cross. Now we embrace that cross, by the way, and that suffering, and we love it that he did for us, but God forbid we've got to do anything for anybody else. Mm -hmm. And how is that possible? Have we ever considered, could there ever in the history of mankind have been more suffering than the cross? And so many people are thinking it is because he was whipped. And, you know, I want to even say, and I'm, I'm not sure if I'm correct, but I want to say, I think some of the apostles even died with death, physically. Mm -hmm. I mean, crucified upside down, boiled in oil, sword in two. I don't think it was the physical suffering of Jesus that made it so tough for him. The suffering for Jesus is that all sin was put on him. And he was, he was cut off from the Trinity. He was cast out of the community. The door was shut on him. That suffering is unbelievable. But we don't understand it anymore because we just say, um, Jesus died for you on the cross if you want to accept him. You know, we made it like it was just a Saturday morning thing. It was the epic center of suffering in the universe that happened for us. And that suffering brought us life. And I think it is based on that suffering that Paul is saying, embrace suffering to bring life to others. Accept discomfort. Accept going through trials and tribulations because your testimony will bring life to others. Your seed must fall through soil and die. And that's when the harvest comes. The second, so the, the Lamb of God is that uh, dispensation. We still live in that dispensation. As the Father has sent me, I now send you. So we need to have the same mind as Jesus. In Philippians 2, verse 1 to 11, we need to become servants now. We need to accept to suffer now for the, for the glory of Jesus. One day, when he comes back, he'll come back as that line of Judah with the sword in his hand. And then there will be judgment 
And then we will live in that dispensation. But too many of us are thinking now we can live like the lion. And that is our time mm. to live like a lamb. Mm. This is our call to be like Jesus. It's a clear call for us. One of the gifts that I received out of the AIDS pandemic was um, I made peace with death. Um, I have seen so much death that I understand that either death will paralyze me and I will fear for the rest of the few days that I have here, or I will deeply embrace the truth and defiantly say, death, show me your sting. Bring it on. Show me your sting. I do not fear death. I fear the one who can steal my soul. And I think if we can, in this time where we might see a lot of death around us, again, if we can confront ourselves for the sake of our witness and our growth, confront how do we view death as final, as uh, the worst tragedy that can happen. It is if somebody doesn't know Jesus. But for any of us to die, of course we weep and we miss each other. That's human. But we weep with hope. We weep with assurance that we'll see each other again. Sam, I think after the Second World War, we have not spoken about this anymore. In the First World anyway. Death was a taboo subject. This was, we're going to conquer it soon. We're going to live longer. Listen to all the medical outbreaks, new medicine. Everything is how to look younger. The new 30 is 50, new 50 is 70. How can I look longer, live longer, have more energy? Every one of us have got a death sentence. Our days are numbered. But we can hold onto the promise from Deuteronomy that your strength will equal your days. So while you are here, live for others, live for the glory of God, write a story that praise Jesus, write a story that encourages your children to stay on a truth path, on the true path, write a story that people will remember when they go through suffering, that you have done something so remarkable in those times, so inspirational that they can do the same. Mm. Now that should be our view, and mm. we should defy death in that sense. We mm. should Challenge it based on our eternal promise. And but that can only happen if we do what we did tonight and we dig deep into Paul's word where he speaks about the sentence of death. It is it is truly verse nine is something to go very deep on. Uh, it is dark, and our answers are dark to that question. What will be the end? Uh-huh. And that's where the, the confrontation comes. And Paul speaks in Romans 8 all about that. He said, what a rich man am I. But for the grace of God, Jesus Christ, who can condemn me, is nothing. That is what we need to understand and grasp and hold on to in this times. Yeah. You know, um, we got a question from one person who is listening and they are from Germany and they asked the question, where is God? Cause I don't believe in anything. <laughs> and um, you know, it's interesting. I just to answer that question from this perspective, 
I look at verse 10, where Paul says, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And I think to myself, um, speaking specifically to this friend, um, how, how can a person, how can you understand everything that's going on right now? Where is either you look at this and all that's happening and you say, we're all doomed, sort of take the either a fatalistic case or us or approach, or you might think um, just get angry with the world or with politicians, but that doesn't help anyone to experience any sense of peace at all, or it just makes you even more frustrated and it builds and builds and, and at least the despair. If there's ever a time where the answer of where is God is answered, it is now times like this. And Paul is, was writing at a time that for the Christian, it was dangerous to be a Christian at this time, but he's saying, We've been delivered from such a deadly peril, the peril of death. You know, as you said, George, you have uh, encountered and faced death. You had to in order to face those fears that everyone's running away from during the HIV, uh, HIV pandemic, that you have to be at a place where you say, where, where is your sting of death? But Paul understood that because he was delivered from this deadly peril. Because of that, he knows he's going to be delivered from everything. That there's going to be a fearlessness in him. And there's a hope. He says, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And like you said, these are men who, they all suffered and they all were martyred. So it's not as though they lived this prosperous life. And But... They either heaven and hell, all of that is a reality or it's a mythology. If it's a mythology, then we are to be the most pitied of all, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. If it's a reality, then you have to believe that it's only in Christ alone is there any hope. But if there, if Christ is true and there is hope, then you can face even such circumstances I appeal to that person just to say, you know, there's look at every other philosophy or religion and you will never find not just hope, but you won't find the truths being played out literally in world history and in life. What do you say to a, a person like that who says, where yeah. is God in this? I don't believe in anything. Where is he? Yeah, I would, um, because it's, it's, uh, it's a journey. I want to respect that. For many of us, especially um, some of us coming from countries and cultures where we have not um, experienced or had an a, a upbringing where Christ was brought into our lives in the early stage. So when we speak about that, things that flash through my mind, there's mm-hmm. all the prophecies that was fulfilled and all the, um, you know, so I can give 10,000 reasons why I believe, but I yes. truly respect and understand where this gentleman is coming from. Yes. I would say, for me, a starting point would be truth. 
honesty with ourselves. So even if we take Christ out of it, I want to say to my friend, first of all, every one of us worships something. There's nobody on this planet that doesn't worship something. We were created to worship. And I want to encourage you to be honest with yourself and ask you, what do you worship in your life? Maybe your materialism, maybe even your philosophies or whatever, but every one of us worships something. The question is, is that the truth that you're worshiping? And that's a road that we need to walk and discover. One of the people that I think is um, just so amazing in, in explaining that is Timothy Keller. Um, Sam, do you know often that book that he wrote on the people asking questions about God? Um, uh, does God make sense or the reasons for God? Thing. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, you know, um, the, the guy who gave us the question, um, I think Timothy Keller is invited constantly by Nick Christoph and journalists like that from Washington Post and New York Times and things. They respect him highly as, as somebody that speaks into current affairs in the world, um, but he's a very uh, deep and firm believer of Jesus, and he's a very gifted author. And if you seek the truth and you come from a background where you're not necessarily too familiar with the Bible and Jesus, I would encourage you to, to go and read this book um, that Sam mentioned now. Um, it's freely available and Actually, you wrote quite a few books around that. Yes. So I'm going to put that into, it's making sense of God. Making sense of God. Yeah, that, that's also yes. a good thing. Yeah. Yes. Um, put that here. In fact, I believe he brought a book out this week or next week about death. And I think that would be a very timely book for everybody in, in the developed world to read because it's addressing the very thing we speak about here is our denial and fear of death. Mm -hmm. and it, I think mm -hmm. it's something that God wants us to look in the eye and to say, you do yes. not have to fear death, I've conquered Yes, death. yes, yes. Yeah, that's good. Yep. Just want to see if there are some more questions before we move on. I... What I noticed as well is from a practical perspective, um, how do we gain this comfort? And verse 11 to me seems to give the answer to that. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So prayer and thanksgiving, which usually go together, is such an integral part of gaining this perspective, gaining this comfort in the midst of suffering. I'd love to hear both uh, just for you personally, as well as for hands, how, how you have seen prayer bring comfort to the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, prayer for me is uh, a muscle that we need to exercise. And um, you can actually, especially in, in tough times or when something suddenly happens, you listen to people pray, you can immediately hear, um, by the way I pray, if I've developed that muscle and ability, or he said, oh God, you've got to help me. <laughs> and I'm, there's nothing wrong with that prayer. But you understand this, um, 
in a, in a time of crisis, even crying out and, and the difference between saying, God, can you, and saying, Father, I trust you. Father, I, I trust you. I choose to, right now, I choose to trust you. Um, that prayer in itself is not the answer. Um, prayer is the tool to go to the one who's got the answer. I think it's very important that we understand that we pray it is the door for us to go to our Father and to um, thank Him, to praise Him, and to lay our our prayer requests. Like Paul saying, Philippians four: Be anxious about nothing, but in everything through prayer and requisitions make your uh, prayer and supplications make your requests known to God. I think we must always remember prayer is a massive privilege. It's an open door for you to have with your brother Jesus and to sit with him at any time. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to be alone. You can sit in a train. You can drive, drive a car. You can constantly pray. And I want to encourage people, rediscover the rhythm of prayer. In the ancient church history again, and, and that's what we try to do in hands. We've got a very strong rhythm of prayer. We pray in the mornings, we pray in the afternoons, we pray in the evenings, we spend time together to pray. We strongly encourage people to have quiet times every day where they pray. We teach each other how to pray. And so prayer is a muscle that you develop. And may I use a picture because I'm a picture person. When I went for a run in a park, I went down a hill and it was like this. And it was mud. I didn't realize it. Oh. I started sliding and I could not control the um, momentum. I was just going faster and faster and I was going to come down hard. And there were many rocks as I was sliding and I could not stop sliding. Now, for a very long time, because I travel so much and stay in tough places, I, I worked on my core. I tried to have a strong core so that I can sleep in hard places and so on. And so that, when I went down that hill, the thing that prevented me from going head over hill was my core. My core kept my upper body at the right angle. And so even though I think I'm hammering and my legs are sore, I, I stayed up. And that's the same with prayer. You cannot just one morning in a crisis get up and think you're going to become an intercessor now or something. You can always cry out to God. He will hear you. But I want to encourage you in this time of reset, this time of God giving us a new window, develop your prayer muscle. Learn how to pray. And we literally teach people how to pray practically. Maybe sometime we can talk a bit about it. But mm -hmm. sometimes people say, okay, I'll pray for Sam, Pastor Sam. But then after 10 seconds, they say, okay, what do I pray again? So we teach people how to pray mm -hmm. in layers. So mm -hmm. they start praying for you, but they end up praying for hands at work in Africa, which you support. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so we relearn. The power of prayer, the gift of prayer, and prayer is not just speaking, it's listening. Uh, Carol and I, earlier this morning, we were praying, and we reminded, we sat and we spoke to each other while we prayed. We reminded each other of God's goodness for all the years. And so by the end, we felt so confident and comforted because we reminded ourselves, our Father is a good God. Sure. But 
is something we need to develop. That muscle must be strong. Yes. We need Pilates prayer. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you can do it now online. (laughs) Uh, I don't think people want to see me do that. That would be uh, quite unnerving. But they would like to see you do that, though. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well... It looks like we, it's, it's been an hour. Um, we are, it's, what a blessing. Love God's word. I hope for all of you who are watching, you enjoyed it. Next time, which will be Monday, and George told me, I have to give this disclaimer. We are um, going to be sharing from Matthew. We're going to be talking about Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 33, with um, Peter walking on water. And, uh, and Jesus, but really it's Peter actually, and, and Jesus as well. And uh, he's actually going to touch on this on Sunday in the sermon. And so he was saying, I need to say, and I chose this passage to, to look at on Monday. And he wanted me to say that I stole it from him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, uh, Thank everybody for um, joining with us. And if I want to, I have specific prayer requests or if they want more questions, anything, just, I don't know if I can put it on your Facebook page, but um, my approach to this is one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. We don't have answers. We know the one who's got answers. We encourage you because it encourages us as we encourage you. And so, um, Together we will walk this journey. We will rediscover the beauty of our God, where we've um, become too familiar, too arrogant, and we're going to humble ourselves. Together we're going to say, Lord, like Nehemiah, you are God and we are man. And and this is a great time for us to come back and to be reminded of that. And to put our full confidence in you, that you are a great father. Yes. We've got confidence in you. Yeah. Do you mind closing some prayer? Yes. Will you close in prayer? Oh, will you? Okay, yeah, sure. Father, I just pray for every one of us who have listened tonight. And some of us have had amazing opportunities to hear you and to see you in action. Some of us are busy discovering you. Some of us are um, brand new. We're not sure. And we're confused and all of us are scared. All of us. Um, Mm -hmm. All of us don't want that anxiety in us. So we want to hear your promises. We Mm -hmm. want to understand. And so I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you'll just encourage us and guide us, each Mm -hmm. one on our journey. We're all on different journeys. Mm -hmm. But if we will discover that incredible, beautiful promise that was made many, many, many centuries ago, that I will send you a son. I will send you someone and he will come and he will bring you freedom. He will bring you life. And it's a new kingdom. One day, there will be no more crises. Mm. Nothing. No more divorce. No more mental issues. No more anxiety. No more wars. No more hunger. No more pain. Lord, we cry for those days. We groan for those days. Mm -hmm. But while you tarry, 
we want to remind and display that kingdom coming to people. Mm-hmm. We want to bring hope to people because somebody brought hope to us. That domino effect, we want it to happen. Fall on us so that we can mm-hmm. fall on us. We bless all the nations in this time, Father. We pray specially for your church that they will um, be strong and it will be a fine hour in our history that in the midst of pain, we will run towards it just like our family members did right through the centuries. We will run towards it. We will not be ashamed of our response in this time. We pray for that, Father, in Jesus, your beautiful name. Amen. 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 Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you again soon. Have a great day. Good evening.